Hey guys, it's your host Julian. We're continuing our deep dive into King of the Hill this week with director Sean Cashman. We're chatting everything from his entry onto the series, his favorite characters and episodes, and so much more. Don't forget, if you want to help support this show, head over to our Patreon. We're offering early and ad-free access to our audio and video, special shoutouts in our audio and video formats, as well as so many other great bonuses along the way. You can find that link in the description below. Now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head Podcast. I'm your host, Julian. Today, I'm joined by returning guest, Sean Cashman. Sean, how are you, sir? Good, my friend. How are you? Oh, fantastic. I've really been looking forward to this one because uh, not only have you set up quite a few of these chats for the King of the Hill folks, man, but you're coming on the show and you gave me three episodes that we're going to talk about specifically for King of the Hill that you directed um, that are phenomenal episodes, some beautiful shots, some beautiful dialogue in there. And just all around fantastic art. But before we get to all of that, ladies and gentlemen, it's called suspense building, Sean. Uh, I'm trying to direct this show myself. I've learned a lot from watching the shows you've directed, so I'm trying to implement that into my show. But okay. nonetheless, man, uh, taking a step back before we get to those episodes that you directed, man, uh, we talked a little bit the first episode you were on from King of the Hill. We did a whole episode with Sean before, ladies and gentlemen, so go check that one out. But we did a lot of Billy and Mandy talking that one in Cartoon Network and how you got there. Um, yep. But I was... I was both fascinated and floored at the same time. I was so excited when you said King of the Hill. Uh, like I said, favorite adult animated show of all time. Um, how do you go from, we just talked a minute ago, but how do you go from Simpsons to King of the Hill, back to the Simpsons to back to the King of the Hill, man? Can you give us that story? Sure. Um, well, the, the great thing was was that both shows were being produced at the same animation studio, Film Roman. And uh, I had been on The Simpsons uh, by that point. I'd say about five or six seasons at that mm-hmm. point. So I, I, I had, uh, I started initially on the Simpsons on season four. That's how long ago Ooh. that was. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I had kind of worked my way up the ladder of doing all these different things. And I was kind of getting itchy to, to maybe, uh, I had become an assistant director and I was working uh, with uh, about three different directors on the Simpsons at the time. And then when they started staffing up for King of the Hill, you know, some of the Simpsons uh, personnel were kind of just moving on. They were moving mm-hmm. from Springfield to Arlen, you know, yeah. so. Uh, uh, so I had an opportunity on one of my breaks, one of my hiatuses from the Simpsons to go up stairs because it was on the second floor to uh help out uh and be an assistant director on an episode uh because i think if i remember correctly i hope i'm not speaking out of turn here but if i remember correctly the ad in that show was fired Mm -hmm. and they were already in production so they asked me well i know you're on hiatus but we you know we've got this going on do you want to do it i'm like hell yeah you know yeah Uh, so i went up and i did that and it, that was for the episode uh, Texas City Twister, where Ooh, the one. where the Twister hit Arlen, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I got to know a fair amount of people at the time. But then when the show was over, I had to go back to The Simpsons because my hiatus was over, and uh, I went back to being an AD. And then they offered me an opportunity to go up on King of the Hill and direct full time. Um, and I, I had to take it, you know, I had to jump yeah. at, so I went, I went, I went upstairs to the second floor and got settled in. And, uh, I ended up after all is said and done, I worked almost as long on King of the Hill as I did on the Simpsons. It was maybe about six or seven years. 
and I directed just shy of a dozen episodes. So what uh that that initial episode you're working on cuz whenever I think of that episode I think of two things. I think of Hank Hill's butt cheeks that you see at the end. Spoiler alert, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And yeah. then I think of <laughs> of him being so uncomfortable with his body, um, you know, trying to run to that shelter and that old lady being in there. And, and he goes, is that old lady still alive? And she's like, I'm yeah. still here. And he's like, <laughs> oh, he's like, it ain't nothing I've never seen before. You know, right. so those are the first two things I think about, man. But uh, did you did you get to do uh, uh, any of the any of the big scenes there? Did you get to do any of the scenes works on 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 that episode? I, I did a few. Um, I did a few uh, layouts during mm-hmm. that episode, but mostly as a, uh, as an assistant director, you're kind of there to help the director and be kind of like the buffer between your crew and and him. So essentially. Yeah. Uh, I had my hands in a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly uh, my main job on that show, because it was so effects heavy because of the storms and the debris and the twister and all that stuff. I was kind of in charge of the continuity of everything. So everything just hooked up from one shot to the other. And uh, I also did a lot of animation timing on that one too. Yeah. So that's, that's where the bulk of my uh, time was spent on that episode. Got you. Um, with you doing before before you come on to this episode, were you you said you were ading over on The Simpsons? Did you get to yeah. do that? Did you get to take that director's chair before coming over to The Simpsons or before coming over to King of the Hill? Excuse me. No, no. Actually, it was it was kind of funny. I used I used that experience on King of the Hill to. Uh, Well, now I'm thinking that you you asked a very good question there. I'm sorry I went silent, but uh, oh no, it's perfectly fine. Yes, what happened was I did, and I ended up directing an episode of The Simpsons, mm-hmm. and um, through all sorts of things happening, it 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 went long, it went over schedule, went over budget, this that and the other thing, and eventually they had to they had to shelve. The episode because there was uh, writing issues guest star mm-hmm. issues and so i had when, when i went back to king of the hill and uh i think i think that's when i did the texas city twister episode and um then i finished the simpsons show and then they offered me a full-time gig on, on king of the hill after that and so I was really kind of torn because it was like after I directed on The Simpsons, they weren't going to make me a full-time director. I was going to have to go back to being an assistant director. But King of the Hill was going to offer me a place on the director rotation yeah. full-time. So that's that's why I made that move. So it was a lot of there was a lot of back and forth going on between the two productions, mainly because of uh, scheduling issues. And mm-hmm. it kind of worked out in my favor in the long run. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. Oh, absolutely. The only okay. reason I asked that one is because I was wondering everybody, and I, I keep saying this, but I, I think it's very important because when you get to track your career in a sense, or you get to track your life, like through social media, it's so easy to track your life because you know, social media started for everybody. I was like 12, 13, 14 years ago, however long it's been until like, I mean, MySpace, if you really want to talk about it, early 2000s. But I mean, yeah, like right. the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams. Uh-huh. Going into a decade plus worth 
of people posting pictures of their lives or, you know, stuff that they've doing their artwork and everything. So you kind of get to track, you know, from day one, what you looked like and what you started with to where you're at now. And you can kind of see that progression. And the whole reason I asked that, that, that question, uh, the AD to the director, um, especially from Simpsons, the King of the Hill, because they are done by the same, the same production company, film Roman. Um, But they couldn't be more different when it came to shows. Right. You know, Absolutely. so I was wondering if you had felt like a fish out of water going from an AD in The Simpsons to coming onto a completely new show and then you're helming episodes. Like what would do you remember what that initial feeling was like when you first became a director? Yeah, uh, I'll preface that with a real quick story, too, because when I first went to King of the Hill to AD the on the Twister show, um, they had shown me uh, this basic black and white pencil animation that Wes Archer had done to help pitch the show to Fox, you know? And uh, at first uh, I'll be, I'll be blunt and honest here at first. I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like it. Wow. Uh, I, I, it just, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I never really was a fan of Mike judge's style. Oh, how know? dare you? I know. I know. <laughs> But it, it all comes around. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I did like the sense of humor, but uh, yeah, I was I was being kind of snooty and and mm-hmm. you know after drawing The Simpsons for all these years and then having to draw all these little nooks and crannies of the hills and and, and yeah. uh, Dale and stuff. And to me, it just it didn't feel right at at first. Uh, but what, but when they made me the offer, I mean, I, I gladly took it because I, I was able to, you know, I used to joke around that, you know, if anybody works on the Simpsons long enough, even the, even the janitor is going to be a director, you know what I mean? So, and <laughs> you just got to so hold I, out. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like, well, you know, here's a, here's an opportunity to, uh, to do it now. So I took it, uh, and I, it took about. I think it was my second episode, and I don't remember exactly what which one that was, but all of a sudden, the humor just hit me. Mm-hmm. It was literally just put a hook in me, and I got it. Yeah. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. All of a sudden, I got it, and I started seeing the characters differently, and the humor was hitting me differently, and uh, the stories were hitting me differently, and I, I I turned into a fan pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so uh, so what happened was when I actually went on to the show full time, I was a little concerned that. Yeah, because it's like you've got the Simpsons on one hand and you've got King of the Hill on the other. And like you say, they are so on opposite ends of the mm-hmm. spectrum in, in, in a lot of ways. And uh, but, you know, that's part of our job in this business is that when you go from studio to studio or, or show to show, you you have to adapt to whatever style of the show is that you're working on. And that was a true test for me because the Simpsons was my first job in the business. Mm-hmm. So that's all I knew. You know, yeah. uh, so it was it was a learning experience. Uh, it was scary at first. Uh, but like I said, uh, I wasn't too sure about about saying yes to being on the show. Uh, but that all changed rather quickly. And then, uh, you know, I was I was I was a hooked fan after that. So well, that's cool, man. Uh, when they send you an offer, um, like how long is it for? Is it usually just like a season? Is it? You know, obviously, I think at that point in time, you're coming on, you said 
what, what what season is that? Is that season two or three that 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 episode you first worked on when you ad'd yes, it? Yes, that was on season two, I think. Season two. So I got to imagine they already started to to get those multiple season renewals at that point, I believe. Yes. So when you're brought on for the director and to put in that director rotation, do you only know that you're going to only work three or four episodes as director and then it's a hiatus or? Yeah, usually um, okay. uh, there's, there's like different tiers of directors in, in, and on both Simpsons and King of the Hill, mm -hmm. uh, there were so many episodes. We did 24 episodes a season. So yeah. 22 to 24. So um, we would have a whole roster of directors, maybe 10, 11, 12 sometimes. Mm -hmm. Some directors were deemed like the A-list directors. Those were the directors that would get three episodes a season because it, it would take that long to do three episodes. It would take yeah. the entire season. And then there were two show directors, uh, which I was one of. There was more of them than anybody else. And then there were you know, directors that would come in and just do one episode here, one episode there. And, um, people would just come and go. And it was the same way in The Simpsons, too. Um, so, yeah, you do get an idea for uh, how long you'll be working. Um, mm -hmm. You don't really you don't you never really got your idea of when you were going to go on hiatus until it was time for you to go on. hiatus. Yes. <laughs> you know, so the you just figured, OK, well, I'm on my second or third episode here. Uh, it's going to end very shortly at some point. So you just get used to it. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, working on working on King of the Hill and The Simpsons for so long, you, you just get used to that. Okay, I'm going to work for nine months and I'm going to have three months off. Yeah. And I'm going to work for another nine months and then supposedly get three months off. But they'll call you back to see if you want to work on like a Butterfinger commercial or mm -hmm. the Hill promotion thing for Fox, you know. Uh, so after a while, the the hiatuses got shorter and shorter, which, you know, for the bank account is nice. But uh, for oh, yeah. the burnout factor, it, it kind of <laughs> is not good sometimes. But uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it, 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 there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of uh, of issues of not knowing. Uh, mm -hmm. The only thing is for me was, you know, of course, you, you want to do a good job and you want to you want to show especially like Greg Daniels and Mike Judge and a lot of the writers who are also producers that, you know, you get what they wrote and that uh, you're able to put what little bit of a personal stamp on it that you can, you know, while you're building the board and the animatic and then you go over to Fox and show it to them. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes it goes great. Sometimes it doesn't go so great, but that's just yeah. the way it goes, you know? Uh, so you kind of learn to kind of, uh, roll with the punches and uh but then you start really kind of learning things about uh who your who your bosses are and what they like <laughs> and what they don't like and speaking of likes and and don't and and uh things not to like is that uh, every year before the season started before we'd start boarding scripts every season on king of the hill we would get a uh a do's and don't list from mike judge yeah. As to the various characters, uh, mainly Hank, mainly Bobby, you know, uh, uh, Hank does not do this. Don't draw him like this. You know, Bobby would never do this, blah, blah, blah. But every season that list would get longer because they would add yeah. on to the previous one. And then in the third season, they would add on to the first two seasons. No. So eventually it would get to be this big, long litany of of things that he just didn't want to see in any of the shows. So. Uh, so it's things like that, you know, um, but 
I wasn't too scared about going on the King of the Hill. I was nervous. I was very nervous because now and now it's time for me to kind of run my own crew mm-hmm. and be responsible for you know bringing bringing a, a script to light and giving it life and hope and just kind of keeping your fingers crossed and hoping that uh, like I said it goes over well. Yeah, well, that's all you can really do, is man, is uh, yeah. hope yeah. for the best, you know. Yeah, um, it wasn't always an easy task, but uh, you know, just goes with the territory. Well, you guys did some. You guys, I'm just gonna cut straight to it. You guys did some fucking magic over there on the show. Like I said, I've I've rewatched this series like five, six times now. At this point, I mean, I've been watching it since I was probably eleven. 12 somewhere around there when i first started seeing it pop up and i yeah. did not miss an episode and when i was growing up man uh fans i'm sorry for telling the story again but when i would grow up uh it would usually start they would play the week priors episode right so all week on fox leading up to the new episode on sunday they were playing you know another episode and then the week before the week before right so 5 30 yeah. king of the hills last week would show up and then generally it was six o'clock during the week you'd see the new episode that dropped that previous sunday um, so, and it would go into the next one the next day and vice versa. So I never miss an episode of King of the Hill. I was even recording them on VHSs, right? So yeah. I've never gotten in more trouble with my mom than when I would record over her shows, not realizing oh. it. Oh yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is, you don't understand if you're, if you're not past your thirties, you don't understand the struggle, but we had to record on VHS and then, like, mom had a tape for each one of us, one for her, one for me, one for my sister, one for my brother. And it was yeah. always labeled. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the my mom had used one of my the, my tape, the one she had labeled for me to record a show. And oh. I didn't realize it. I just grabbed the one that said Julian. So I yep. put it in there, rewind it, record all the, the King of the Hill ones, and then come to find out. Man, did that piss mom off because I don't know what she was watching. It might have been Monk at that time, which was one of the shows we watched together. Yep. Um, yep. I love that show. One of my favorites growing up. But it was like uh, I I did not uh, did not go well for me that day. She was very irate and angry. Um, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> fantastic show. Um, one thing I wanted to circle back to is kind of a two-parter. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first one being, did you guys ever feel like Little Brother in Film Roman? when you were on King of the Hill? Yeah. 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 There's there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. Um, You know, whenever I would uh, talk to friends and relatives from back in Connecticut, you know, uh, they would say, so uh, what are you working on these days? He says, you still on the Simpsons? I'm like, no, I'm on this uh, other show called King of the Hill. Mm -hmm. I love the Simpsons. That's, that's the reaction (laughs) I would get. God damn. That, I, and I kid you not, it was like, and I would be like, really? You're not even going to acknowledge the other show I'm working on, you know? But you know what? Did you uh, cut them out of your life? I would have. No, <laughs> no but what <laughs> happened was, the funny thing was, what, what happened was, I, I soon discovered that uh, after my days of King of the Hill were done and I moved on to like Cartoon Network and whatnot, uh, I, I found that, you know, whatever luster on your resume came from working on the Simpsons over time started transitioning to, Oh, you worked on King of the Hill, you know? Nice. And so that's when I started realizing how much of an impact King of the Hill really had, you know? And, uh, but yeah, we did kind of feel like we were the, you know, little redheaded bastard stepchild, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, 
I don't know. It, it, it's all good. It's all good because, you know, it, it, I got to work with a whole crew of new people and I was still friends with my buddies on the Simpsons downstairs. So it was my family just kind of grew. My work family yeah. just kind of grew. So it, it was cool. But yeah, there was a lot of that at first. Yeah. And the second one I had off of uh, off of your story from jumping from Simpsons to King of the Hill. That's did you ever feel uh like a fish out of water did you ever feel like maybe i made the wrong mistake i should have stayed with the simpsons or did it feel right from the get-go well to be honest you know i kind of feel that way a lot about a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of shows, lot of shows. Been out, yeah you know? yeah uh but that's just me you know it's got nothing to do with anything except what's rolling around up in here uh no i never really i never really felt regret uh, mm-hmm. I think the only thing I, re- I I felt regret for for not being on The Simpsons anymore was when they laid me off from King of the Hill yeah. and I had no job. <laughs> oh, I can imagine, <laughs> you know, man. so but that, that kind of forced my hand to to kind of get out there and and start broadening my horizons a little bit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because you know I worked at Film Road between the two shows, you know, a good twelve years, maybe, you yeah. Know? That's a good stretch. So, and that's 12 years anywhere is a, it great is a stretch. good stretch. Exactly. And uh, especially for a guy like me who just kind of came out of nowhere and got a job uh, on the Simpsons. And, um, and I was able to parlay that into King of the Hill. I, I wasn't going to go anywhere. I was going to stay there until I couldn't stay there anymore. And that's pretty much what happened. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you did, man. And, uh, you know, you had said something earlier in this chat. It was uh, at first you didn't you didn't quite get it. You couldn't remember what episode it was that really hooked you and made you a true fan. Um, With that being said, obviously, we've we've I've talked to so many folks and it's it's always interesting to see, you know, what people have problems with, what people get right away when it comes to any new show that they're going on. But specifically these characters. Like I said, I think that's the reason that this show does so well. It's it's the right like everything is in symbiosis here. Everything flows into the next one, right? So mm-hmm. you got the story, you've got the animation, you've got the characters, you've got the voices, you've got the people that are pulling the strings. You know, it's it's in my opinion, there's not one bad episode of King of the Hill. I can't mm-hmm. really say that about too many shows. I'm extremely yeah. biased because it's my favorite adult animated show of all time, Sean. But okay. you know, nonetheless. <laughs> I do think it's it's a perfect show because from the start of the the theme song to the end credits, man, I'm invested in these characters because of these characters. What you guys do from breathing life into them and animating them and what the staff is doing yeah. by writing them and what, like I said, what the voice actors are doing. Yeah. Um, what were with the characters in particular, and we'll get to a couple other uh, a couple other things, and then we'll roll into the episodes. But with the characters yeah. in particular, what were some of those characters that were extremely difficult to probably get into the minds of when you're working with them? And what were some of the ones that came second nature for you? Um, well, you know, for me personally, and and I don't think I'm speaking out of term uh, or putting words in anybody else's mouth, but uh, I think uh, you know Hank and Bobby. You know, mm-hmm. where were the ones that were very easily uh, grasped, you know, yeah. in my mind. Uh, although I thought the, you know, the characterizations on, on most of the main characters were pretty solid and yeah. easy to figure out and see what that person is like. Oh, this person is like that, you know. But I think as far as like the, the heart of the show, uh, it's always been 
and Hank and Bobby for me. And I think that's the reason why I have a, a, an affection for a Hank's cowboy movie episode, because it's yeah. really, it's really about a, a dad and his son, you know, that's all hard. And, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, um, I think the only the only characters that I I, I think I had difficulty with we worked with the least so I didn't really kind of get to uh you know story wise or, or characters I didn't really have a lot of experience with so I I really kind of didn't warm up to them and and it's mostly the a lot of the secondary characters like uh, you know John Redcorn and Mm -hmm. uh, uh although i did do an episode with uh hank uh not hank uh dale gribble and his wife but i i didn't really i wasn't really drawn to her character either uh but not too many i mean the, the you had some pretty solid oh pretty absolutely solid characters you know and uh i think i think one of the great things from uh, I think that helped uh, alleviate my fears from maybe feeling like an outsider on on King of the Hill was, you know, as a director, I would get to go over to Fox and um, screen animatics for whatever episode I'm working on. And, you know, so Greg Daniels would be there and sometimes Mike would would be uh, would be uh, uh, on the telephone or something from Texas. And then all the writer producers are there. And I really uh, enjoyed seeing the experience or seeing the the process of how can we make this better you know what i mean yeah. Yeah, that's a good joke that one doesn't land so well this part of the story is a little weak and they would just banter back and forth you know and uh even though it, it meant more work for me and my crew when they were done it was always for the better and i was very mm -hmm. impressed with that very very impressed with that um so i, I know i'm kind of you know going off a tangent oh here, no but, i love tangents yeah but it yeah. uh i think for me i didn't really have that experience uh on the simpsons uh even on the one even on the one episode i directed because there was so many things going on with that episode outside of the story of the episode but including the story of the episode that it was it it wasn't it wasn't the best experience in the world you know mm -hmm. so uh by the time I got settled in on King of the Hill and really kind of took everything to heart and uh, heart and mind. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved it. I loved working on that show. Well, I could tell, man, like I said, you guys had a lot of heart in this. It started with the, just the concept of these characters. And you guys, like I said, built the world within them or built, built the world around them, excuse me. And then yeah. you built them within the world to enhance that foundation of King of the Hill. So, uh, you know, you'll never hear me say anything, anything bad about about the show ever. Um, <laughs> well, with, I don't uh, really say anything bad about it either. I just I just kind of comment on my experiences working on the show. But oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I, I, I you do get to a point where you can separate yourself from the experience mm -hmm. of working on an episode so that it doesn't taint your thoughts about how Absolutely. you feel about that episode. Uh, I watch episodes now that I worked on and did, and I see them in a whole different light, you know, is it hard for you to see them at this point in your career? Is it hard? Cause you, you know, I can, I can guarantee you do like I do. I look back at some of the food I did five, 10 years ago and I'm like, I sucked. I could have been so much better. You idiot. Why didn't you do this instead of this? So that's how I know I look at my work. I got to imagine you look at it the same way. Probably. 
Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of episodes and probably a lot of uh, uh, boards that I did on shows I directed for King of the Hill that could have been done. I felt could have been done better, but you know, in animation, especially TV animation, uh, you do an insane amount of work in the mm. tightest schedules there are, and it's uh, and it's amazing we get anything done at all in general, even to this day. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's. There's uh, some shows that I, I initially worked on that I wasn't happy about that. Yeah. Time has changed that in my eyes. Big time. Yeah. Is there one, is there one scene or maybe one episode that comes to mind when you think about King of the Hill that you wish you could go back knowing what Sean knows now yeah. doing this for as long as you've done it going back. And when, you know, you weren't working on that show for as long as you were, is yeah. there something that you would have loved to change or maybe get another crack at if you could, does anything come to mind? Yeah, actually, because uh, it, it, it still creeps up in my head every once in a yeah. while. <laughs> so it's it's uh, the Exterminator episode, oh, and it's and it's when they're in the cafeteria and the cockroaches come out of the vents and stuff, and mm -hmm. and Dale kind of you know gets pressed into service and he's killing them all. And yeah, uh, I think I think that whole sequence could have been done better a little bit more dramatically and the animation of the cockroaches coming out of the vent is just awful. It's horrible yeah. <laughs> because we were trying to do, because we were experimenting. Remind me of Beetlejuice. That. Yeah. We were exper experimenting with that very early, early stages of CGI. Mm -hmm. And we were able to uh, have uh, black and white drawings done. Uh, and it just, it never worked. It just never yeah. worked. Yeah. So, yeah. So that one comes to mind pretty regularly <laughs> i i love when he goes ape shit in the cafeteria and the fact that he's just wrapping up everything and i can't remember who it was but he literally points to a guy when he's saying he's getting ready to kill all these cockroaches he's like you're fired and then he's going yeah, up yeah. he's taking everything off and he's smacking i ladies and gentlemen i just watch this so i like i try to stay away from you know fanning out this hard and saying these these little <laughs> pieces of this episode but yeah. like when I think of this episode, there's a thing, a couple of things. And like I said, we'll deep dive into this one in just a second. But sure. it's just him up in the vent, you know, turbine. Yeah. And then he's just going in yeah. circles, roll. Yeah. And then he <laughs> falls down. You think he's dead. And then, like I said, just him taking out what was it, a letter opener and just throwing it across the yep. cafeteria and getting yep. one cockroach. cockroach. I, yep. Like I said, it's just uh, he is such a fun character. It's, it's you know, I flip flop as far as like favorite characters go, because, uh, you know, growing up as a kid. I always saw myself as a Bobby, right? I was that very chubby, awkward kid that I tried to use humor. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry I told this story before, but, you know, get used to it. It's King of the Hill. This is my show anyways. I, I love talking <laughs> this show. And this show, the show means so much to me. But I like always, I always, I always associated myself with Bobby because everybody's weird and awkward when they're at that 12, 13 year old stage. And I was for sure weird and awkward. You know, and then seeing him and then, like I said, just seeing these characters work through the same shit I was going through really helped, you know, but but the characters that have always been a constant as far as favorites go, man, it's it's hard to bet against Hank, but it has to be Dale and Cotton Hill like Dale and Cotton. I want to see that as a spinoff show. I want to see a buddy cop show. And that's one of the questions I'll ask you later. But I want to okay. see that as a buddy cop show as a Dale and a Cotton, you know spinoff prequel whatever you want to call it i would love to see those two but those two in particular man they're so fun they're so animated um you know in my opinion they always have the best lines of dialogue as far as like little one hitters yeah. what they say cuts really really deep sometimes especially cotton man it's just man 
Like I said, those two characters in particular. Um, before <laughs> we move on to the uh, to the episodes you worked on, man, I figure we can do uh, a little bit of, uh, I guess, word association, man. So you've gotten a chance, okay. and you've uh, you've dropped their names a couple times, but you've gotten to work with some really great people, man. So whenever you hear these names, I just want to know what comes to your mind first. Be one word, one sentence, one phrase, or what you thought about them, or even what you learned from them that you still might use in your everyday uh, life as a director now. Uh, but yeah. starting up at the top, man, the creator, Mike Judge, man. When you hear that name, Mike Judge, what comes to mind? Um, I had an opportunity to meet him in person. Uh, I thought he was a I thought he was a cool guy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they had a comedy festival down in Austin, Texas, one year. And 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 one of the one of the big things going on for that festival was that they were going to show two episodes of King of the Hill on a big screen at the Paramount mm-hmm. Theater or something down there. So as the director of one of them, I got to go. And uh, then they had this big party afterwards. And uh, I got to talk to talk to Mike and get to know yeah. him a little. He's just a cool dude. And, mm-hmm. and to show you how cool he is. Now, this was a long time ago. I don't even remember the dates, but flash forward, I'm working at. Uh, titmouse in hollywood mm-hmm. and i'm working on a disney show the early disney xd show and chris bernoski who you know created the studio is, is showing uh someone around and he walks by my office and it's mike judge mm-hmm. now literally i don't even it, it, it could have been 12 years or since i've seen him 15 years maybe i don't know it's, it was a very long time and he saw me and we made eye contact and he goes hey man I know you, you know, that's and it so was cool. Great. We just shot the breeze for a little bit. And uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised that he remembered, you know, who I was. Uh, so mm-hmm. he is a pretty cool guy. And he's, I love his sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so unique. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've laughed so hard at this show so many times because it's, it's, and my mom always called the Simpsons, Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, the dumbest shows ever written. I was like, mom, and I've had these talks now, especially since the last three years, I've had so many of you guys on. And, you know, I was sitting down watching the Simpsons one time with Hayden when my mom was down here a couple years ago. And then Hayden is probably at that time, like nine years old, maybe 10, you know, give or take prime age for the Simpsons, prime age for King of the Hill, you know, and we're watching the Simpsons and my mom walks in the house and she's like, Oh, you're going to let him watch that stupid shit. And I'm like, what do you mean stupid shit? She's like, this is such a stupid show. I was like, you would think that, Mom, but do you realize that The Simpsons, King of the Hill, Futurama, these three shows in particular that you say are so shitty, have got some of the most Ivy League-bound students that have ever come from Harvard, Yale, Stanford, all of these schools that you told me that were so prestigious that I knew I would never get into. These guys and gals came from these institutions that everybody holds in such high regard. And they're writing on The Simpsons. It can't be a dumb show when you've got some of the smartest people in the world working at this show. Needless to say, she was speechless, and my mom is never speechless. So I won that battle. So I, at least I, in my head, <laughs> at least in my head, I think I won that battle. I probably won't. She'll probably bring this up five, six years down the road. But nonetheless, <laughs> man, a very, very, very well written show, and a lot of it has to do with like Mike Judge's sensibility. His sense of humor is just so phenomenal, and you get it. It's one of those ones where somebody will say something. And then you think about it, you're like, oh, 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 that one had some layers to that joke. That was deep. You know, so they had some thinkers for sure. And I, like I said, I love the sensibility that Mike Judge put in this one. Next guy up is, uh, man, uh, you know, Mike is referred to him as the heart and soul. And, you know, just the the guy that puts so much 
character in these characters. Greg Daniels, man. So when you hear yeah. Greg Daniels, what's the first thing you think of? I, I think of a, of a few things. Um, um, I definitely agree with that statement, first mm-hmm. of all, because like I, like I mentioned earlier, when I actually got to see him at work and mm-hmm. to talk story with the other writers, it's, it, it was a thing to be seen. It really was. Yeah. Um, the other words that come to mind are uh, intimidating. Ooh. <laughs> but again, I think that was probably more me than anything else because I was really convinced that he just didn't like me. Yeah. And uh, but again, I have nothing to base that on. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, you know, he not, not to not to take anything away from Mike, but you know, uh, Greg did the day to day nitty gritty of making that show absolutely you know? and uh, he was in charge of the writers and uh and uh yeah he really i think uh, you know he's just you know, if not more is the reason why it's it was so successful yeah mike's been on record for saying that saying he echoes that same sentiment i mean you know you hear how just influential he was to this show in particular you know it, it's it's baffling that you know obviously everybody's going to know the creator. And I think we're in a, in a day and age where people are really starting to peel back the layers and, and really try to not so much understand, but get an understanding of like, Hey man, it's not just one person doing anything, not just with animation, not with just movies. You know, you could literally go down the entire gamut sports. Not one person is winning on a team. You've got 12 dudes, 15 dudes on an NBA team. Then you got all the medical staff and you got the coaching staff, you got the executives. So, you know, I think a lot more people are understanding that there's a broader scope to uh, just creating, like I've said it a hundred times, so ladies and gentlemen, I apologize again, but animation is a lot like raising a kid, man. It takes a village to raise a kid and it takes a village to raise an animated series, you know? Um, And anytime we can talk Greg Daniels, I want to talk Greg Daniels because like I said, he's just one of those dudes. It's like, he's a, he's a white whale in a sense. He is like mythical. You don't really hear too much about him. You know, he seems like he flies under the radar a lot Um, when you were on the Simpsons because- no, go What's ahead. That? I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, I know you were on The Simpsons. Did you have any overlap with him when you were on The Simpsons, Greg? I, there are probably, uh, you know, I worked on a lot of episodes of my time on mm-hmm. The Simpsons, you know, uh, and I'm sure, I think I did work on a few of his episodes, uh, yeah. either, either as an artist or an assistant director or something. Uh, but I never I never got had a chance to meet him until uh, I was on uh, King of the Hill. Okay. But I yeah, knew, like you said. I knew, yeah, but I knew of him and I knew of his mm-hmm. work and whatnot. So yeah. Yeah, you know, like like I said, he's just one of those white whales. You don't really hear too much about him. You know, he flies under the radar, but you know, it's just I don't there's just people that you look at him and I don't want to say savant because I think that kind of means you're 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 dumb in some aspects, but you're great in that. But it, I don't I don't think I don't I can't really think of a better word. It's just like when I think of like story. For anything there's like two people in particular i think of them both of them came from the simpsons brad bird and greg daniels like when i when i think of like story and you you want somebody like you flip a coin you can take either one of them but it's just like when i think of somebody that if i had to hire somebody i needed the best story i could possibly get like those are like i don't think you could do too much better than brad bird and and greg daniels you know and both of them just came from that simpsons that that system you know um, and that and that was a, that was another fun thing about going going to the uh, going to King of the Hill was uh, uh, Brad was a storyboard supervisor, mm-hmm. and uh, I he would come to the screenings too. 
and that's uh, where I got a chance to meet him in person. So that was well, that was kind of a big deal for me. So, well, I'm glad I brought his name up because he is very very important to my to my youth and my uh, the career I'm chasing now. Iron Giant, obviously, you can see him right there in the background. He's <laughs> also right there, and he was also my first tattoo on this arm. Iron oh, Giant cool. is extremely important to me. Um, and another movie that was like the straw that broke the camel's back in the best possible way. Um, to get me into the career I'm in uh, was Ratatouille. And he was the director ah, for both of those, right, you know? Right. So anytime we can talk Brad Bird, and I literally just added him to the list of people that uh, we're going to say, Hey, what is this? What does it come to mind when you think about him? Um, I knew he was on uh, King of the Hill and I, I knew he was a little bit of a supervisor there. And that's me, yeah. um, you know, saying that he did quite a bit of stuff there when he was there. Um, but Brad Bird, you said you had some overlap with him. Uh, you know, you got any cool stories working with Brad Bird or hanging out and talking with him? Uh, well, yeah, the first time I met him, it was at a animatic screening of one of my episodes. Actually, no, it was the screening, animatic screening for the Twister show. So yeah. I wasn't even a director yet, but I was there as the AD, you know, and I just sat right across from him. Uh, so we watched the animatic. Um, and so he wanted to know how we were going to handle the effects, you know, yeah. and. Uh, I, and I and I guess he didn't like the answer because film you know film Roman wasn't really big on spending the money you know what I mean yeah. so uh, so he just went on a tirade. I, mm -hmm. I had heard stories about his temper, but yeah. he just went on a tirade about you know this shows uh, you know you really gotta you gotta spend it you know you gotta make it look good you know you you can't just make it look like a warner like the tasmanian devil in a warner brothers cartoon and and he was just walking back and forth pacing and just yelling you know and getting all red and then he sat down looked at me and he goes hey but what do i know right and he winked <laughs> <laughs> had he already had he already stepped out to do iron giant yet i don't know oh, well, that came that came very shortly after that i think okay yeah, like I, like I said, there's like when I think of him, I think like I said, Iron Giant. I think of The Incredibles because he's done the Fantastic Four better than the Fantastic Four has ever done the Fantastic Four. And Ratatouille, man, I I don't know, like I don't know what he's doing. I need to like I know he's working. I know he's trying to work on something that he was trying to do earlier, Raygun or whatever it was. But it Ray was, uh, yeah, you know. So you haven't really heard too much from him, but he's like one of those guys. Like he's like Tarantino in a sense. It's like, what does that dude work? Why is he not in everything right now? Like, why Tarantino should be plastered all over the place? Brad Bird's name should be plastered all over the place. Just he's just like one of those talents. And I don't know if that's why they are so good because they have. I don't want to say they only do so many projects or they only do so many things that they attach their name to. And maybe that's why they're just so good because they have all of this focus. They're not being pulled in a thousand different directions. But it's just like I said, Brad Bird, top of the list for me when it comes to damn near anything, Sean. Um, but uh, another one of those guys we were going to talk about, man. Uh, we got three more here. Uh, sure. Clay Hall. When you mm -hmm. think of Clay Hall, what do you think about? Well, I you know I I knew Clay from my days on The Simpsons, mm -hmm. and um, he was pretty. I th I think he was pretty instrumental in getting me up on King of the Hill. Yeah. Uh, uh, because you know we would go to lunch a lot when we were on the simpsons and we all kind of just hung out whenever we could and stuff and and uh so um i think 
because he had approached me and he thought he kind of asked me, you know, you think you might want to, you know, try something new or whatever, you know, and I, I don't think I was feeling that brave at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, because I don't, you know, because the whole thing about going up stairs to King of the Hill to just AD on the Twister show uh, just came out of nowhere. It came out of the blue. It wasn't anything I was actively pursuing or anything. So I think I think he probably had a hand in it, you know, uh, because really, uh, aside from Clay, the only other person on the show that I knew from The Simpsons was Wes Archer. Yeah. So and at that time, Wes was the supervising director, and I think Clay was one of the one of the first directors on the show. Um, and then he eventually became a supervising director when Wes uh, left and moved on to other things. Um, so, but I haven't, I haven't seen him in, mm-hmm. in ages. Um, I don't know what he's up to or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of hard to, to just say like one thing about someone you've known yeah. for a long time, you know? So uh, uh, we, we kind of, I think we kind of, I don't know if we had a falling out, but we kind of uh, grew apart for lack of a better yeah. phrase, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. and because uh, he moved, he went on to uh, the early days of uh, DreamWorks TV when they were doing CGI series and, yeah. and stuff like that. So he went on to bigger and better things. And I was still back at, you know, king of the hill trying to stay above water <laughs> you know <laughs> uh so uh i think that's kind of what happened beautiful man uh and then we've uh talked about him a couple times and he's art director for the reboot man wes archer when you hear yeah. about wes archer man what do you think about uh i love wes uh yeah. wes um wes when i first got to know him on the simpsons was uh very kind of hard to pinpoint you know mm-hmm. kind of hard to, to read them figure them out and read them yes yeah. absolutely um but he was always good to me uh personally and i've been seeing him almost once a month for the last couple of months for breakfast yeah uh, because you know, he's involved in the reboot of king of the mm-hmm. hill and uh you know i'm pretty i'm pretty entrenched at disney right now but you know he he kind of hinted at maybe possibly coming on board the show a couple of times. And I was very, I would love thankful. to see it. I would I was, love to well, see you freelance very, some stuff. I was very, oh, I, and there's no time. I have no, no I barely have time to do the show. I'm on. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I thought it was really great. And I hadn't seen him in ages either. And uh, mm-hmm. we ran into each other at this diner in, in Burbank. And I, I was sitting at the counter because I like to go to the counter because they wait on you right away, you know? Yes. And the guy just sat down, expanded, I just looked, and it was Wes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Wes. And he looked at me, he goes, sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so we just we just struck up this conversation about catching up on things and our families and what we're doing and you know, mm-hmm. where we've been. And uh it was actually his idea to do the, the monthly uh uh monthly breakfast meeting. So uh that's really cool. So, so yeah, but he's very, he's another guy, very talented and um, just, a, just amazing because I, a, anybody like that, who I met on the Simpsons uh, that can just animate an entire short by themselves is just like, you know, just yeah. Mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. 
just really crazy. Uh, but he was a he was a good good leader, a good supervising director, and uh, you know, patient, and uh, you know, I can't say enough good things about him. I I always liked Wes. See, with with him, so I've watched a lot of interviews with him, and I draw a lot of similarities on how he talks and how he how he explains things to my oldest son when he fight when he's doing karate and he's fighting right so i've always been extremely fascinated with somebody whenever they've hit that flow state right like you're in the moment you're living literally second to second nothing else matters nothing else is is you know is operating around you and then like i asked my son this when he was when he was fighting one time because he had, he's won first place in every tournament this year that he's done in um he so yeah, it's really cool because he's about to lose every tournament next year because he's going up to black belt and he's also going up oh. to um, 14, 15, I think. And all of the boys he's going to fight are, I've already already started to hit puberty, you know, so they're already fucking three inches taller than them. They already got 40, yep. 50 pounds on him, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. so he's a little yeah. string bean, but he'll, he'll get there, you know, he'll have a hard year like he did last year in the division he's in now. And then, you know, the next year when he's, you know, a little bit bigger, it'll be a little bit easier for him. Um, Cause he's really talented. He's really gifted at what he does. But I had asked him, you know, when you're fighting somebody, like, what do you see? And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, what's going on in your head? And I explained to him. Cause like when I played basketball, I was like, I would see, I would see movements like I wouldn't really like if I'm looking at you, I can see your facial features. I can see, you know, what color your hair is, what color your eyes are, like what you're doing. I could see all of that. But when I'm in the mode or I'm in the movement, and I'm trying to beat the person in front of me. Not like it looks like a mannequin to me, like. Right. So it it might be like when you do pencil drawings, like you've got these circles that turn into yeah. ovals that would turn into a shoulder joint you know, arm and all this. So that's kind of what yeah. I see. And I'm just watching movements. I'm watching how they move. I'm watching how they breathe. I'm watching what they do with their hands. I'm watching what they even though I say I don't look at facial features. I'm watching what they do with their faces, because generally you can tell what somebody's going to do for the most part when you play basketball by facial features and what they do with their hips. They can't pretend to go left and go right if their hips are moving left. If right. their hips are that's left, right. they're going left, right? So that's generally what I'm looking for is hip movement. And I asked my son the same thing. And I'm like, what are you seeing when you're fighting? He's like, I kind of see shapes to an extent. He's like, it's kind of hard to, you know, it's kind of hard to to explain. He was like, but I just see the person. And then he was like, everything else like behind him is like not blacked out, but it's just like not really there. And yeah, he was like, yeah. I'm just walk, watching his shoulders. I'm watching his hips. I'm watching his knees. I'm watching his feet. And I'm watching all of this at the same time. He's like, I kind of feel like a chameleon because I've got one eye that's kind of doing all this and the other one's looking around. So he's like, wow. and I'm trying to worry where the referees are at. And when I hear Wes talk about characters and I hear him talk about shots and I hear him talk about this, I'm always fascinated when somebody is not just in a flow state, but they are very good at what they do. I wonder if like everything else behind what they're doing or the characters that they're focusing on is completely blacked out and they can isolate a scene. They can isolate a background, a character, a moment of dialogue. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what he does so goddamn well because like Greg Daniels is the heart of the entire series. Like when yeah. you have a Wes Archer episode on anything, perfection. I don't like saying that word because I think it's thrown out there too much, but I've yeah. never seen, and I've never seen a bad Sean Cashman episode either. But, you know, yeah. since we're talking about Wes, like when I, when I see Wes's name, I was like, oh shit, this is like, this is Yoda. 
this is, and I'm not a Star Wars guy, so I'm just not throwing out there for cloud. It's just like, that's the only thing I could think of. He's like <laughs> the head samurai, right? He's the yeah, guy that like yeah. everybody is going to go to because he's honed his craft for so long. And like I said, that's just how Absolutely. I look at on the outside looking in. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could echo that same sentiment for him. Oh, yeah. I, you know, because sometimes uh, like when I was uh, uh, first starting out on the show on The Simpsons, uh, I was, you know, a character layout artist, which is essentially mm -hmm. like an extreme animator, you know. Uh, and so sometimes I would have problems trying to, uh, you know, transpose things that was in a storyboard and put it in the actual drawings and the actual animation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'd have to go in his office and ask him for like, you know, clarification. I said, Wes, I'm really having a hard time with this. I mean, can you help me out or just give me some advice? And the thing is with Wes, yeah, he would look and you can almost tell by looking at his eyes that that is the only thing that's on his mind right now. You yeah, it's the only thing that matters. Because yeah. he literally would just, he, he, it's almost like he literally would just stare and mm -hmm. wouldn't say a word, but you know, you know, it's moving. The gears are going, it's yeah. moving. And um, always, always had a good solution to things. And, um, yeah, you know, that's and that's part of being a supervising uh, director or a supervising producer is that you have to learn how to do both. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to view uh, to to view an episode big picture and also these little moments that make Absolutely. up the big picture, you know. And some people are very very good at that. I think that's one of his strong points, you know. And Absolutely. he was also very good about also very good about us uh um really training our eyes to draw the characters correctly. And mm -hmm. um, he was the big proponent of that because we were all, we all on King of the Hill were having a rough time with the original Mike judge designs. Cause there was, there was so much visual information to them mm -hmm. and that sometimes uh, when you would just do like extreme animating, extreme animation poses, you know, all those little nooks and crannies would start having a life of their own when they would move yeah. around, you know? So he was very, uh, uh, important and I think it was around season three or four where they kind of I don't want to say softened the designs of the Koth mm -hmm. character King of the Hill characters but Tighten made them lighten them up a little yeah lighten them up tighten them up and it made them a little more animation friendly you know yeah. and but I think in doing that I think they got even more personality in the designs mm -hmm. than what was there like in the first season or two. Um so yeah, he's uh he took what what Greg and Mike created and he just brought it to life, you know. Yeah. So he we put all that had, finishing polish on it. Yeah. So all of us who came on as directors after that, you know, even though they, they looked upon us to put our own stamp on things, we all kind of took our lead, you know, from Wes, I think. At least I did. Beautiful. And uh, last guy before we rotated into the episodes, man, he's uh, no longer with us, sadly, but uh, I feel like he was a really big part. Uh, I've always heard people talk about him so fondly, um, but Ian Wilcox, man, uh, I know when we talked about it, uh, you said you had a really cool story about Ian, man. I would love if you want to, if you'd share that story with us. I will. I will. First off, I just want to say that Ian uh, was just a great guy, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's not a lot of people I, I don't think that any of us can point to and say 100% good dude, good great, dude, great yeah. guy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, 
we all have our quirks and stuff. And, you know, Ian had a lot of them and he used yeah. to get teased for them, but he used to be able to laugh at himself, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, he was, he was, he was a joy. He really was. Uh, and I worked with him a lot because his, his cubicle, when he first joined King of the Hill was right outside my office. Yeah. Now the story I'm going to tell is, is that when we first started King of the Hill, we were doing these tiny little, little layouts. I mean, they were uh, uh, like, three by five, like three by five card size layouts, mm-hmm. but they weren't much bigger than actually the storyboard panels, you know, because they were trying to, they, they were thinking, okay, we can just plus up the storyboard poses and we can get a show photographed and made an animatic of, uh, and it won't take a lot of work, you know? Um, it didn't really kind of work that well because the quality of having to draw characters on that amount of space didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they decided to uh, take the uh, style of how to do a show from the Simpsons, which was to do full layouts, you know, uh, uh, like I said, extreme posing uh, on a, on a nine by 12 paper, which is a 12 field size in animation, which is kind of a normal TV sized area to work on. Uh, but nobody on the crew had ever done that before with the exception of me and Clay Hall. Yeah. So because Wes, I think Wes had already, I think he had already moved on by that point. I'm not sure. Or he didn't have the time to do the class. So if, if Wes was there, then it was just the three of us that even knew what that involved because it involved a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, mapping camera moves and mechanics on the animation disc. And it's stuff that by now is long gone and fallen by the mm-hmm. wayside, you know, but back then everything was still on paper and hand-drawn and we had to figure out how to do it, you know? Uh, so for one season, as each crew that would come in to start production, they would send them to me for five days, one work week. And I would teach them how to do layouts, you know? Um, and so a lot of them were returning, returning crew members and a lot of new, new uh, crew members coming in. Uh, but I had to, I had between Monday and Friday to teach them how to do their jobs basically is what it amounted to. And it went that's pretty a quick well. Turn around. That's a quick, it's a quick turnaround. turnaround. <laughs> but yeah, that's TV for you. That's just yeah. TV. You know? Um, but it's always kind of like an ongoing process while you're mm-hmm. on the job too. You know what I mean? Um, but Ian, then in the, one of the other new crews came in and there was Ian and he was, a, he started out as a background artist, but he came in and uh, he, like me, didn't know anything about animation, you know, was a good artist. And uh, he went through the, he went through the five day course mm-hmm. and on the fifth day, he came into my office. He says, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. He shut the door. And he sat down and he goes, I don't think I, I don't think I can do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I don't think I can do this job. And I'm like, yeah, you can. No, I can't. I'm like, yeah, you can. And he says, well, why do you think I can? I said, I just went through five days of, of your class and and I'm more confused than ever, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, that's kind of normal because you only have five days to kind of learn every tool you need to do your job. I said, you know, it'll be a process. You know, nobody's expecting you to start next Monday knowing everything there is to know. And 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 it literally was like a who's on first, you know, thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Yes, you can. 
I can't. I really can't do it. Yes, you can. And so till finally I had said it more times than he said I, I can't to where he said, okay. I said, all you got to do is show up on Monday. I said, look, look where you sit. You sit right outside my door. You got a problem? Just come see me. You know, you're yeah. going to be fine. And he was a ball of nerves. But, you know, he started work the next Monday and they loved his work and they loved him immediately. Yeah. And because that's that's Ian, you know, and uh, he fit in like he had been there since the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, just very, it was just very uh, personable. And like I said, a great sense of humor and uh, could roll with the punches. And nobody laughed more at Ian than Ian did. So, yeah, uh, yeah he uh, he was he was a great guy. He really was. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing those stories. Um, yeah. So the uh, three episodes that you had sent me, like I said, all all great ones. So I'll let you choose which one we talk about first. We got of mice and little green men. We've got the exterminator, uh -huh. and we've got Hank's cowboy movie. Man, which one do you want to start with? I want to start with Hank's cowboy movie because out of all the shows I did, that is my hands down personal favorite. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was so into that episode, and something about it just registered with me. And that was, uh, I, I, I worked on that episode 32 straight days without a day off Holy shit! because I just wanted to get this thing in a shape that was just going to blow people away. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because I, I just knew what I was going to do from the minute I read the script, you know? And, uh, um, I kind of pushed my crew a little bit. I actually want to, what my, uh, I think it was my AD at the time on on uh, on that show, which is someone you may not know because you're not into Star Wars, but his name is Dave Filoni. And uh, David has gone on to become a, a real big wig in the Lucasfilm world yeah. and in Star Wars. And they couldn't have they couldn't have hired a better guy because he was born understanding Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was in it was in his blood and he used to drive us all crazy talking about star Wars when we were on King of the Hill, but uh, he was a killer artist and mm -hmm. I liked, him. we got along real well, uh, but he was a killer artist and he would come in and he would show me these layouts of Hank. There's a great shot in the show where it's kind of like a little bit of an upshot on Hank. He he's told Bobby to run out. I'm going to throw, throw the ball at you. And it's just Hank kind of trying to find a good position and throw the ball. And he kept bringing it in. I'm like, well, that's really good. You should do some more drawings. And it's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, no one's ever told me to do more drawings. I'm like, do more drawings. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So he'd go off and he would draw more drawings. And then until finally he practically had this thing animated. Mm -hmm. But he was happy to do it. I mean, because I asked him to do a lot of work. And uh, he did it no problem. But I really felt so strongly about this episode. I always start, already had ideas as to what what the shots are going to be even before I started boarding my section of it. And then of course the, the, the real capper for me in that episode was that my favorite part of putting an animatic together besides editing, editing the timing of the animatic is to do scratch track uh, music. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the only thing that kept registering with me for that episode was the natural by Randy Newman. Yeah. And um, so I uh, I downloaded pretty much most of the album onto the Avid 
with with the editor and we just spotted the whole animatic with with clips from the animatic and i think I really think that when we had the animatic screening, that's what really sold that episode. Because uh, it's, I think it's, I don't want to say I got a standing ovation from the writers, but I got a really loud round of applause, and which, yeah. at least for me, didn't really happen, you know? Um, and But I did hear Greg Daniels tell the composer, he said, I want you to get as close to that music without us getting sued. So that's, <laughs> I, I knew right then and there, I, I did it. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so flash forward, it was one of the, one of the episodes screened down at the uh, comedy festival in uh, um, awesome. Texas, Austin. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I almost said Arlen and down in yeah. Austin. And uh, I'm seeing it on a full size movie screen, you know, digital projection, you know, everything looked pretty awesome. And uh, another great response. And so for me, that's always held a special place for me because I felt like I I probably worked harder on it than I should have, but I felt it was worth it. It was worth it. There's two things I want to circle back in particular about this one. Uh, one, yeah. why did this one resonate so much? Because you said you had already had ideas for the shots you wanted. Um, you know, you wanted to do this. You know, you had him do more drawings than than he 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 needed to do because he was yeah. doing such a great shot and then the yeah. second one just so i don't forget um what was that feeling like when you were watching it on the big screen with everybody there at this festival so you yeah. can choose which one you want to answer first man but uh well, the, would love to know yeah, the, the first episode uh, the first question i'll answer is the uh in regards to the script i mean you know the scripts were so well written you know mm-hmm. and they're very detailed and there's a lot of this description of you know geography and surroundings and where the characters are and whatnot yeah. and uh we had a certain amount of pre-design work done on the locations you know for that episode mm-hmm. and so well, that helps me kind of visualize what kind of shot i'm going to do and um so I just, I just, I just got a lot of visual input in my head from reading that script more than I did on any other episode. It, yeah. it just, it just really registered with me uh, more than more than the other ten or eleven episodes I did, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think, I think I was on some kind of autopilot role when I was working on that episode. Yeah. I just, I said, okay, now we're going to do this, and here, do this, and lay it out like this, and you know. Um, and it just all fell into place rather nicely, even though I worked my butt off, you know, um, it was more than, it was like on an average of about 10, 12 hours a day for 32 straight days. You had a flow but state. Because I, because I was, yeah, I was, yeah, all some kind of altered state. I was saying, you know what I mean? Uh, so then when, we, when I watched the screening on the big screen, it was like I was, I was, I, it was like I had nothing to do with the episode. I was watching it as an audience member which never happens because you know by the time we were done with our episodes as directors you're you've been through that thing inside and out every which way you know and and it's just kind of like you get to a point sometimes where you just kind of want to get it off my desk and i wanted to start start the next one because it's just something different you know but uh yeah it was it was quite an experience for me and i Mm -hmm. i uh i felt really 
proud of how it came out. You should, man. Uh, it's a good one. Have, well, thanks. Um, you know, being a typical artist, I always feel like there's room for improvement all the time. Or boy, that didn't come out the way I wanted. Just that, but not on that episode. I was really, really happy with pretty much everything. And of course, you know, it helps to have a great script. Always helps to have a great script. So there was no need to really improve upon anything. Not that I could anyway, um, because it's just my job to visualize, you know, and that's where I can probably hope to, you know, up the ante a little bit. But uh, I don't know. That one just kind of talked to me. I don't know how else to explain it. Oh, that's perfectly fine. And there's uh, something I wanted to add, because when you said when you go back and you look at things, it's like you see imperfections in it, right? And there's yeah, this yeah. quote, I want to say it's Teddy Roosevelt, but I'm probably wrong. However, I've started implementing it into my day-to-day because, like I said, when we go back and look at what we did 10 years ago, five years ago, and seem like, shit, I could have done this so much better, it comes to mind every single time. And it's uh, comparison is the thief of joy, right? So <laughs> we go back and we compare something to like what That's... we're doing now or compare it to somebody else. We're robbed yep. of that little bit of joy. And I've tried to implement that in my in my life because just what I do for a living is a lot like what you do. You you make art and that's what food yep. can be and and, and yep. is, you know, and every week, you know, every it's like two, three times a week I'm making a specific style of bread, a sourdough, right? And I've gotten it perfect each time. But each time I do it, I'm doing it a little bit differently because I want to see how far I can stretch it, how far I can go before I get to a point where like I shouldn't have done this. I, so I want to see like how far I can take it. How, how much, how much can I do to this to make it better each week? And then it got to a point where like, I would take bread to everybody. I'm like, try this, try this, try this. They're like, Oh, it's, it's, this is great. This is fantastic. So much better than the last week. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I'll do better next week. And then it got <laughs> to the point where I was like, I was absorbed into that mindset. It's just like improve, 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 improve. And I yeah. wasn't enjoying the thing that I love making the most. I love making bread. I, there's something so primal about it. And yeah. I was not enjoying it. And I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast of all things. And I want to say it was probably Burt Kreischer. Maybe it was a comedian. And they were just talking. And they said that quote. And I'm like, holy shit. It just res- it's like resonated. It completely pulled me yeah. out of that thing. I'm like, yeah. dude, I'm doing something that's very good that everybody's enjoying. And I know I'm enjoying it because it's good. I was like, what is perfection? Perfection is unachievable. Perfection is your perception of that word, right? That's right. It was perfect to me and what's perfect to you. You'll see a mistake in an episode you do, but I see perfection. You might see perfection in that bread, but I'm going to see that imperfection. You know what I mean? So it's it's always interesting when we talk about the things that are, are, we're striving to be better at, man. And like I said, ever since I've tried implementing that, uh, that quote, I feel like I've been able to go like this a little bit better and be like, and I can look at something and be proud of it. Like I look at what everybody else does. I'm super proud of it. I'm like, Oh my God, that's so fucking good. But I look at what I was doing and I'm like, wow, that's all you got. You could have done better. You know, you could have done a little <laughs> bit better. You could have done 3% better and it would have been yeah. way better. And then when you really Absolutely. think about it, like you say you could do 3% better, but in all yeah. actuality, when you do that 3% better, what you yeah. really wanted to do was 6% better now, you know? So it's, yeah. it's one of those balancing acts that I've really had to learn, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, last well, yeah, year I in think, particular. Yeah. I, I totally understand what you're <laughs> saying. I think for me, it's taken a lot of years to get to that point, you know, in, yeah. in, in my head. Um, because I think a lot of it with the, with Hank's cowboy movie was also a part of me was trying to 
prove to Greg mm -hmm. that I could do it because my first episode uh, after the Twister show, my first show as a director was uh, again. I'm, I'm I'm zoning on the title, but it's it's the, the the I don't know if you remember this. You probably do, but it's where Hank's credit gets ruined because supposedly he yep, didn't bring porn. back porn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was my first episode, and I had a lot of fun doing it. But I was, you know. I, I was nervous because like we spoke earlier, I wasn't kind of too sure of it yet, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I don't think he was all, all that crazy with how it turned out. And, uh, and of course my first, one of my first meetings with Greg at a screening was <laughs> he showed up and he had the flu. So he was in a bad mood anyway. Yeah. He was sick as a dog, the poor guy. And it, it just did not go well, <laughs> you know? Anything that so could go wrong me, went wrong. Uh, well, at least in my mind, it did. It probably didn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? It probably didn't at all. But for me, it was just like, oh, my God. You know, I, I just totally <laughs> blew it on my first episode. And, you know, I'm going to get fired. And like you say, imposter syndrome kicks in yeah. and all that stuff. So I think there was a lot of that going on with Hank's uh, Cowboy movie as well. Um, but, I, you know, things just fell into place on that one. I had an awesome board crew. The storyboards were just killer. And, of course, that helped me out too and um mm -hmm. you know when, when you when you have a crew and you don't need to um kind of give them overkill with direction and details micromanage and everything yeah yeah that's kind of never been my style mm -hmm. uh i have i have specific ideas that i like them to touch upon but i but you know as long as they kind of hit those notes knock yourself out you know yeah. and, and and they did you know, and uh, so things, like I said, things just kind of fell into place on that one for me. So that's why it's it's my favorite. Well, that's really cool. And like I told you before we hit record, that that scene at the end when they just take all, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this movie in 20 plus years, that it can't help you on that one. Go watch this series. Go watch this episode in particular, or these three episodes in particular we're going to talk about. Um, but that scene at the end where you know hank's trying to get the cowboys to arlen because bobby's going to grow up one day and he's going to leave you know he's shitting on his yep. hometown you know and yep. uh you know peggy sees all of the shit that hank tried to do and it did not work so she does peggy is such a phenomenal character man it's just like i know so many people on the outside that don't really know this show or don't watch the show they would always say like i just don't like peggy i was like that's cuz you've never uh -huh. watched an episode and you don't see the yeah. character and the loving affection she has for not only they Hank don't know the character, and bobby yeah. they don't know shit about this character okay. you you see somebody that is the the epitome is that if that's the right word the the consummate mother figure you know she wants yeah. everybody to do so much better she has everybody's best interests at heart and you see her gather up everybody's home movies from VHSs. And the fact that that line was in there, like we've made, like I got goosebumps now thinking about it. And she's like, we've made this Dallas Cowboys movies for the last couple years. And then she's yep. dumping the VHS tapes on there. Yep. And you just see every, like it's, it's such a touching moment and everything that we've talked about from heart to soul to all of these characters was in that 10, 20 seconds, whatever it was. Yeah of the yeah. home movie section man yeah. so it was just it was such a beautiful touch at the end of that at the end Thanks. of that episode you know that that particular sequence um you know uh i probably did way more work on that sequence than i needed to but back then um i had to plot out 
mm-hmm. all the camera moves in that sequence to make it look handheld. Yeah. So I physically had to draw what they call field guides of camera positions and, and when it has to move and all this stuff. And I had to plot that all out on the exposure sheets for the camera department. And now, little did I know, because it's not because now you just you just tell the, uh, an animation studio uh, handheld camera effect, and they'll just mm-hmm. they'll just work something yeah. out, you know. But back then, everything had to be plotted out, you know. Um, and um, so I probably didn't need to do that because I would imagine that at that point they probably had a, a, a really kind of early version of a handheld thing to do in editing and probably on mm-hmm. the app something. But but to me, that's where my mindset was on this episode. No, I'm going to work this out to the way I want yeah. it, you know. And that included like, you know, camera zooming in, going out of focus for a bit and then coming back out. And, you know, that was all plotted out by hand. And uh, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not usually one to brag and, and, and be overly proud about stuff, but I'm really happy with that episode. Yeah, like I said, man, you should be. It was those little touches that made it that much better, man. It was the little, those little moments like that that might not seem little to you because you had to plot all that shit out, but like a little moment like that, just it was mwah, at the end yeah. of that episode, man. Um, so the next one, do you want to talk some aliens or do you want to talk some roaches? Which one do you want to talk next? Yeah, let's talk, let's do the alien one. Yeah. Uh, right. Again, that was a fun episode. Uh, oh boy was it <laughs> it was I, I i loved it because uh you know um and very topical right now too well yeah exactly mm-hmm. but when you do when you do any kind of dale centric episodes you know it's gonna be a riot you Absolutely. know and uh so between between all the bobby stuff going on and then and then hank stuff going on uh, it was a really kind of a dense story. There was a lot happening, you know, and um, I remember trying to figure out how am I going to, how am I going to, sh- cause Hank was, Hank was in uh in, in kind of like a dairy queen with, with Dale and Dale <laughs> talking about this theory that he has of how the aliens impregnated Nancy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of had to plot out this, long involved camera move that would just transition from one scene to the next to correspond with his voiceover and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, 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 and then when he finally gets, gets the end of the story and he just kind of screams at a Hank and he goes, "Um, what was his son's name again? I'm drawing a blank. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Thank you. I was going to say David. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where the hell that's came from but he said joseph is an alien and and hank's just kind of staring at him and he kind of looks around to see if anybody heard him and he goes what (laughs) you know it's little things like that that in that episode uh it was a lot of reaction to to basically dale's craziness that i had a lot of fun with and uh and and that's the joseph and bobby kind of relationship that was kind of running through it um i i enjoyed that episode a lot I, I don't I've, really remember a lot of specifics about it, but I, I just remember liking it. Yeah. I've always been fascinated when you guys like, and you, you can kind of point it out, uh, especially once you've seen a series or you've seen an episode of something, you've seen it multiple times. Cause once you've seen it once or twice, you start to look like what's in the background. What were they really doing? Or were they doing something with their hands? Are they doing something else in the, in, you know, throughout the series or throughout that show, that episode 
that you probably didn't catch the first two times. And what I loved about these episodes and the series was there was always multiple, multiple stories going on within one story. So you had each character. It was like, it was like a video game. Like, so you go and you're playing this video game. Let's just throw out, let's say Batman, right? The latest Batman one. Open world, you've got all these NPC characters, you got all these secondary characters, and you got all these main characters. And like you could literally sit on the top of a building as Batman and watch like characters interact with characters, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the same right. thing with King of the Hill. Like you you would see, you know, Dale and 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 um Hank going through their little moment at the diner. Nancy loves you. And then it was like, no, it was aliens. Like, oh shit, okay. He didn't think it was John Redcorn. <laughs> no, but and then you see Bobby, and then you're picking up throughout the series, like, oh, this is where they're at now. They're they're traveling to um fuck um thank you i knew it was an yeah. m um i don't know why i was going to say memphis i've never been to tennessee or memphis so but cute. i gotta imagine it's pretty alien up there too but uh yeah, yeah you know good. so they're out there looking at the marfa lights and everything and like i said each story had a subplot or a sub story within it and you would think that that would get convoluted in a sense like one would be stepping over the next but it was like an a testament to what you guys did you could take multiple stories wrap them up in 22 minutes and yeah everything intersects everything connects and then it progresses the story as well and yeah. uh one of the main things that i absolutely love in all of these episodes that we're talking about was there scenes that i felt like you hit on so well as a director and just from the visual standpoint when they're there and everything is green everything is lit in green for this episode I thought it was yeah. so damn cool it was so different than like the last time I had seen something like that was probably a Simpsons episode right when you think about it like Homer's in near the reactor and everything kind of green yeah. you know make it radioactive type of thing but like exactly. this is the first time like everything was greenlit that I ever seen the, yep. the backgrounds the characters and it was just so cool Dale is literally carrying around alien piss you know in a mayonnaise <laughs> jar you know he's trading in diner points for for this alien piss you know, yeah. so it was just such a fun character. It was a fun, fun show that was Dale and Joseph centric, but it had Bobby and Hank both playing the same character and the same relationship to these characters that are related, right? So you get a father and son and a father and son, and they're yes. literally having to do the same thing with each of these characters, right? So I, I just thought it was a very fun way of showing that there's not much difference between Hank and Bobby. The only yeah. thing that's really different is agent perspective. So I yeah. love, and that's about as deep as I can get on an episode. Cause I'm just not that smart, but it was well, something that I saw in that, that I absolutely loved. Well, I think, I think you picked up on an important point. I think uh, for me, um, the whole experience of even just working on the show, working on King of the Hill is the fact that as crazy as some of the storylines can be, or it doesn't even have to be crazy. It's just, just kind of out there, you know, uh, that there's still a heart to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because how else can you do a story about, you know, Joseph and Bobby traveling across country by themselves, you know, um, and Dale ch trying to chase them down, figure yeah. that he's going to go back to alien parents and, you know, stuff like that. And but then, like you say, but then you realize it's really a father and son story about those two fathers and sons. Yes. So, uh, I think that's, I think that's the thing about King of the Hill. You know, it, it could be cartoony, but it wasn't a cartoon. Absolutely. The only way yeah. I can describe it is as real as it could be. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, 
so yeah, no, I, I, you know, I had an episode one time speaking of all these different storylines, because normally you would get a story that would have an A story, a B story, possibly a C story, but mostly it's an A and a B story. You'll have two different things kind of going on at once. Um, one show I got, it was an A story, a B story, a C story, and a D story. God damn. And I'm like, the script was 64 pages long, which is more than double the length of what it should have been. And uh, I got word from Fox that they kind of wanted me to to have the whole entire show laid out, which includes everything in the script. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to kill the crew, you know. And so eventually when everything was all said and done, uh, the D story really had nothing to do with anything to the other stories that were going on in the episode just had nothing to do it was it was its own little story and mm. but it was its own little story that came out to 110 uh scenes that had to be drawn and laid out and we had to storyboard it in the whole nine yards and uh eventually just as i had figured was going to happen they cut that completely and i had i had that stack of scenes with all those drawings in there for that part of the episode in my office for for years you know just just as a kind of a weird reminder that you know get ready this may happen again <laughs> so you remember what did. episode that was I'm trying to think if i i have to think about it i'll let you know but uh, not okay. not right i don't but uh yeah so but but mainly what the story the, the story that ended up getting cut was um bobby is with his grandfather and he wants to buy a new cadillac that was it you know so it was just and it had like i said they had no tie no nothing to do with anything else in the episode you know so I, of course with my big mouth when we when we screen the animatic and it's a 45 minute animatic which is supposed to be a 22 minute animatic yeah. i said well you know if you, if you kill that d story just take it the hell out of there you'll be fine and and i don't think greg liked that too much he goes well let's not jump let's not get hasty here and i'm like oh, okay sorry <laughs> we can make this show a two-parter we can make this episode a two-parter yeah, really. um yeah so like i said the uh the other thing that i pulled from from that episode um was just probably the first line that dale says to joseph and it's like uh like it's right when they break the window or they no they they crack dale with the uh lacrosse ball break his nose <clears throat> and then he essentially blames it on uh joseph or joseph gets blamed for it. he's like nah it wasn't me it was my dad he's like damn joseph you should have been a gymnast because you got no problem rolling over so i there's just like <laughs> these little Daleisms that like i said it's like if you're not paying attention to the dialogue, you kind of just you gloss over it. But like yeah. I said, the dialogue for these characters was top notch every time, man. Oh yeah. So those were the oh, yeah. those are the two things I always that I pulled from that episode. And uh, oh, okay. the, the the next what's that? No, what I just that? said okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I oh, mean that oh. you would pull that. You know. Yeah, it's just a, I mean. like I, I said. You know, there's a bit of a lag going on here too. So. Uh, you know, it's like when I when I say something, it's kind of like on my end, it seems like you've stopped talking, but you're still talking. And I feel like I'm interrupting you. So, oh, you no, know, I got you. It's a little bit weird. You can oh, no, you're perfectly out. fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're perfectly fine. Usually like usually it's pretty good, but we've had some really nasty storms uh, the last week. So and there's no real reception out here by us. So I can only imagine it's the winds really blowing hard. 
Um, but yeah, so the uh, the next one we're going to talk about, the last episode we'll talk about today, um, is the Exterminator. Now, yeah. I told you when we before we started talking, I, I talked about it, I touched a little bit about it in the last two episodes. Your eyes for shots to make you feel like you not only you're a part of the show, but you feel for these characters. I couldn't appreciate this when I was younger, but now that I'm an adult and I've got a little bit of perspective and I've seen some shit and I've done some shit and, you know, <laughs> I've been around the block, you know, in particular, I'll let you, I'll let you break down the show right after this one, but it's like that shot you do when Dale goes into the office for the first time, he's pretty much, you, you're making him or, or you guys made him essentially shed his old identity. He obviously has to give up the exterminator, but he's bringing in, what we know Dale to be that guy that's got the hat, he's got the sunglasses, he's got the smokes, you know, he's got his conspiracy theories. And then essentially he is being neutered in a sense, if you will. Uh, he's yeah. being brought into this office life and the lady literally takes what's left of his identity. Can't smoke, can't wear a hat, can't wear sunglasses. And you yeah. see him, you know, assimilate essentially to the rest of the 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 ants and the 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 ant hill essentially if you want to keep it on you know pest control yeah. and then you guys <laughs> do this really beautiful but really depressing shot of you zoom out and you see the cubicles and you zoom in i think you guys zoom out three times i think it's the rule of three on this one and you zoom out one more time before it goes to commercial break and it's just this labyrinth of cubicles and you yeah. see people moving and it's depressing yeah. but it sets the tone for like what this character is about to go through yeah. like i said beautiful shots in all three of these episodes out Thank of you. all of them this one was probably my favorite because it put me right in, like i can understand a hundred percent what he's going through man yep. can you work can you walk us through that shot in particular if you, oh, if absolutely. you know too much yeah cool. will, yeah no problem uh and, and actually i i still have that actual background drawing from that yeah. scene because awesome. I was really happy with the way it came out. That's that particular scene, uh, the background drawing and, and the layout was done by my friend Tom, um, who has since retired. But mm -hmm. uh, I sat with him, you know, because we kind of had a rough thing of it in the storyboard. But, you know, it, it needed some TLC, you know. Yeah. And and so I worked with him that I told him, I said, you know, we'll just do a couple of cross dissolves. And, and each time we got further and further away. And, uh, you know, he nailed it. He nailed it because he did. He did all three views, too, as separate drawings. And mm -hmm. then we just kind of cross dissolved the camera, you know, yeah. as to we ended up getting that, you know, labyrinth shot before the mm -hmm. commercial. Um but you know, see that's that's the fun thing about what 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 I get to do is that in the script, you know, it could be just one line of description, like you know, uh, Dale sees a sea of cubicles and feels sad or whatever. Yeah, you know, so it's just up to like the story, me and the storyboard artist and the background artist, and trying to figure out okay, what's the best way to kind of visualize that one line of description, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's what we came up with because, you know, uh, I've worked at jobs like that and, uh, and, I, yeah. and I figured most people probably have had that experience. And so I just kind of, I just kind of pushed it a little further than what it was in the storyboard, you know, uh, because that's kind of like, 
uh, what Greg and and all the showrunners after him wanted us to do as directors is to put our own kind of visual stamp on it. And uh, we didn't really have a lot of power and ability to change story. So we we had to figure out a way of doing it visually to to help the story or augment it. Not that the stories needed help. They didn't. But uh, yeah, so that's that's how that shot came about. And I uh, I really kind of pushed Tom and he goes like, well, how many cubicles do you want to see? I said, I want that thing to look like a, a bee's nest honeycomb, you know, yeah. and, uh, and he pulled through. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Did he? And, you know, <laughs> we did we did some talking about this one in the beginning of the episode, so we won't yeah. go super deep. Plus, I just scrolled over and saw what time it was. I apologize. We've been here for two hours. Uh, it goes by really quickly when I'm no talking worries, with man. you, man. Um, no so, so, but I figured, uh, I've asked all of the, all of the guests from King of the Hill, this one. And then whenever I've been able to do a deep dive, um, into a specific series for multiple episodes, I think this is a very pertinent question. And it's one of my favorite ways to, you know, end a, end a show. Um, because I think it really drives home, you know, you guys' experience on whatever show we're talking about. Um, but when you sit back and you reflect, you know, do you remember what year you came off of King of the Hill? I think it was, uh, it was not too long after 9-11. Okay. So, um, so it's been some time then. So it's been about 22 been years, give or take. Time. Yeah. 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 Okay. So when you think about that, and obviously you've had some quite some time to reflect. It's been 22 years since roughly around when you came off that show, but you've had some time to like really reflect. And when I ask this question, most people have a hard time if they're still working with the show. They're like, "Well, fuck, dude, we're go, go, go." I don't really have time to to think about anything other than the show I'm working on. But yeah. it's a little bit easier once you guys have been out of that show or out of that, you know, that group of folks that you work with to really think about, reflect uh, about what you did, what you accomplished, maybe what you wanted to accomplish. Um, but when you think about King of the Hill in its entirety, from the staff to the to the animation, to the music, to everything in between. And when you think of King of the Hill, man, what's the first word? What's the first thought? What's the first phrase? What's the first paragraph that comes to mind? Your entire experience with King of the Hill. Uh, it's philosophical um, shit, Sean. Oof. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, well, I'm just talking from my experience that it, it was uh, it wasn't an easy show for me to do. Again, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, you know, I'm thinking of me back then that it was probably had a lot more to do with me than the actual doing of the show, you know. Um I think um, I look back on it and, and you know, you always remember, you know, the good stuff comes more to the front and the bad stuff tends to fade away a little bit, you know, yeah. um, it was, it was difficult. It was a difficult show to do. A lot of it had to do with a lot of, a lot of factors. Um, a lot of it had to do with the way the studio was run and, you know, just a lot of factors. And, uh, uh, I always felt like I never really, I never really had the chance to really kind of do the show that I wanted to do. I mm -hmm. did the best I could within the time I had. And, uh, you know, there comes a point when it's kind of like, okay, everybody pencils down, you're done, you know? So uh, there's a lot of that factor involved. So I think there was a lot of frustration for me because I, I didn't quite, 
at that point understand or know where I stood with the people that were kind of uh, giving me these great scripts to do, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how they felt about it. I got along with them. I got along with all the showrunners and um, a lot of the writers. And um, so I don't think it had anything to do with personality or anything. Uh, I think I was just, I was just like worried all the time, you know, I just want to do a good job. I just want to do a good job. But because when you're in a director rotation, you don't know what you're going to get for a script. Mm-hmm. so when it's your turn in the rotation to get the next script you get whatever that script is and you got to make something out of it you know so a lot of times i felt like i i uh when i again like you said about comparing comparison between yourself and other people you give me, uh, give i would me see one second episodes of, what's that you give, give me one second i, I think a lot of, oops my bad Okay, I think uh, a lot of my issues with myself as a director on king of the hill that kept me from probably enjoying it more than I should have was the fact that I, I would, I, I would always check in with the other directors and say, Hey, what did you mm-hmm. get for a story? What are you working on? And, 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 and I, at the time I felt like, Oh, you got some really cool stories going on yeah. because I think I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself at that time, you know? Uh, but I was too damn busy to worry about it too much, <laughs> yeah. you know. So I just, I just, I just put my blinders on and I just did what I felt I needed to do, uh, which is probably why I ended up working so many hours uh, on uh, Hank's cowboy movie mm-hmm. because I, I, I felt like I, I had to do that. Uh, now whether I had to or not, that's debatable. But whatever it is worked, and um, you know. Um, so I think for me it was more personal, more a personal thing for me that it was. Um, I felt like it could have been a better growing uh, experience for me as a director than it was, but like I said, I really did have a good time, you know, working on the show and working with the crew and working with everybody because we were all in the same boat. We all had an insane amount of work to do and no time to do it in, and we all loved the show you know and so that that makes a difference that kind of gets you through all that kind of stuff um and did you interview alan jacobson already yes i did yeah yeah okay so alan and i very early on in our careers on king of the hill shared an office mm-hmm. as we were ad's assistant directors and but the office was so small that we literally were back to back with each other like i was facing this way and he was facing that way so we got to know each other pretty well you know i can imagine yeah and 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 fairly quickly so eventually you know they made me a director and then eventually they made alan a director and uh the night after the exterminator aired um i i initially was not happy with how that show turned out Mm -hmm. i just was not just not happy with it and uh, I came into work, you know, on Monday morning and uh, two people walking by getting coffee said, hey, man, good show. And I'm like, what show did you watch? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and they said, no, it was really, really good. And then a second person said that. And then Alan came in and he goes, dude, that was a really good show. He goes, you know what? Since the thing I notice about you is, is that I can always tell when you've directed an episode. And at first I'm like, oh, I don't know how to take that. Is that a compliment <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> and, and he's I feel like, like oh, there's no, a butt no, coming. Yeah. No, no, man. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So I was, I was happy to hear that, but it took me the longest time to 
kind of get whatever all those thoughts were in my head out of there about that episode and learn to like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just kind of, you know, weird, a weirdness about, uh, like you say, nothing's going to be perfect. Yeah. And I always kind of shoot for that, even though I know, I know it doesn't exist, but yeah. And it just ends up kind of, you know, biting in the ass, you know? So, uh, so I had, I had mixed feelings for a while. Uh, but I, I did have a hard time working on the show, the, the doing of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, hey, it was a big opportunity for me, you know, and I had to take it. And I and whatever, you know, came down the path, I was going to just deal with whatever it was. And um, um, so eventually I got laid off. And um, I found myself for the first time in, you know, over 10 12 years without a job mm-hmm. and I didn't really know anybody outside of film Roman. And, and that's the thing about animation is you, you got to have a network and I had like zero network. Uh, but eventually, you know, through some people I had known from the Simpsons and had met through some other people, I ended up, uh, you know, finding my way to cartoon network. And that was a whole nother aspect of my career after that point. Um, yeah. So so, you know, I, I still consider myself lucky, you know, because I, I, I feel, you know, I may not be happy with all the episodes I did as a director, but I like most of them. Mm-hmm. And I was and I'm damn well set on loving one of them. So, yeah, you know, I, I say that's those are pretty good odds. I think so, too, man. If you can like a little bit of the stuff you can do and if you can love at least one thing you did, I got to feel like you did all right, man, because uh, it's it's very difficult and I think in any field, not just an artistic field, but I think it's difficult in any field to go in because you sacrifice so much of your time at work. Yeah. I don't give a shit what anybody says. That whole thing of like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life is absolute bullshit. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I think that's yeah. such a disservice we tell young people, um, yeah. you know, just find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I love what I do. If I could do what I could do, or if I could do what I do at work at home uh-huh. and not have to get out of my PJs, duh, I could probably, <laughs> and I could do it for like two hours instead of 12 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I'd be a lot happier, you know. But like I said, uh-huh. I love what I do. I'm very good at what I do. Um, you know, but it's work is work, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Don't let anybody sell you a whole bunch no. of bullshit like that. No. Um, you know, but there's one constant thing i've heard from everybody so far that i've had on from king of the hill was one of the most difficult shows i have ever worked on time crunch just a workload in general however the next thing they always say you always hear a but it was one of the funnest places i'd ever worked because of the people yes people made it the best you know so i always love hearing that because it it just it echoes the thing that i've been saying probably since the first episode of this podcast when you guys are doing something and I absolutely know you're having fun, you're enjoying what you're doing and you're enjoying the people you work with that translates to what I see and what everybody else sees on the screen. That's true. When somebody is really loving what they're doing as douchey or as hippie as it sounds. You can taste it in the food. When you, when you know, somebody gives a shit about what they're serving you, you can taste it in the food. When somebody's hate fucking something, you can taste it in the food. You know, it's the same yeah. thing with art. When you got somebody that's just phoning in, doesn't want to be there. Yep. You can see it on the screen. Absolutely. You know, so I never Absolutely. saw that with any of the episodes that I ever saw from King of the Hill. 
I never saw something that was less in my eyes, less than perfection, man. So you guys crushed it. It's really Thanks. what I'm getting at, Sean. Well, thanks, man. I can really say, honestly, say f- for all my fellow directors that, you know, uh, there was not a, a soul in that position on that show that didn't work their ass off mm-hmm. because they wanted to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's the thing. I mean, they had to in a certain respect, but they also made it more than that. It was just mm-hmm. more than a job. So uh, hats off to all of them, too. So. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, you'll never hear me say a disparaging work about King of the Hill. And anybody that's ever worked on that show has got my undying respect. And and uh, what was the other word I was looking for? Undying respect. And I can't think of the other word, man. It was going to sound so cool signing off. I was going to have my Arnold Schwarzenegger-esque <laughs> I'll be back moment. Um, undying support and respect, I guess, is what I was getting at. Well, thanks. Um, but, you know, I had a whole bunch of questions that we were going to go through as well on top of that stuff. But you pretty much answered everything that I was going to ask you. Um, okay. You know, I figure what we can do is we can just use that. We'll save that Mount Rushmore for later because we did a little bit sure. of a Mount Rushmore with those five, those six people because Brad Bird got added to that one really quickly. Um, as soon as you <laughs> brought him up, I was like, I'm writing him down. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, man, like I said, Sean, anytime I get to have you on, it's fun. Uh, Thanks, I, I would man. love – I know you're busy as shit. I would love to do this again because – a year and a half, two years was the last time we did this. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, go back and watch that first episode. Because uh, this one should have been like the, this episode should have been the one before we did the last one because we were talking Cartoon <laughs> Network in that era. Yeah. Uh, so you have to watch that yeah. order. Yeah, yep. yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I love being able to get to talk to you, especially at, like I said, I didn't mean to take two hours of your time, but oh, I, I really oh, loved hearing you flush this stuff out, man. So I appreciate thanks, you coming man. back on the show. Well, anytime, just ask anytime. I'm happy to do it. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Okay, and uh, next time you come on, we'll do some we'll do some new episodes and we'll talk about uh, what CGI you didn't like in that one and what you liked. And I'm just <laughs> fucking with you. <laughs> OK, no problem. Yeah. No yeah. Problem. But like uh, he's been Sean, man. I've been Julian. It's been a What's in My Head podcast. And this has been another piece and a huge piece of your childhood. Good night. Yes. Good night.